0: Welcome back, or if you're visiting us today, we're glad you're here with us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the Psalms and praying through the Psalms. Now, I know for a lot of people, when you say, oh, we're praying through the Psalms, it doesn't always sound super exciting. Uh, It doesn't have that kind of catchy tone that makes me go, oh, I want to get into that. But I believe praying through the Psalms, even though it might not sound catchy and exciting, is crucial for our lives. And let's be honest, a year later, in the midst of a COVID pandemic, kind of nothing is flashy and exciting right now. Most of us are kind of bored and and we're tired, we're complaining. We just want this to be over with. Uh, And so I kind of feel like, well, this is the right time to be praying through the Psalms. When we began this journey a few weeks ago, we started with the why would we want to pray through the Psalms and and what's the launch pad. And the whole reminder for us is that we're praying for revival. We're praying that God would revive us and he would awaken us and reawaken us to what he would have us do and, and how to live as he would have us live. And so as we journey through, kind of looking at all these themes of life as David and others speak into just what it means to be human and and just the whole emotional gamut of being human. And so we find life within the Psalms as we learn to pray them. If you missed last week, last week we looked at Psalm 51, uh, where David cries out, Oh God, forgive me. And there's just this passionate plea, and and as David cries out for forgiveness, the reminder for us and the instruction to us is, yes, as we come to God, so we cry out for forgiveness. And the incredible thing is God does. God gives us the forgiveness that we need. And forgiveness, of course, is, is free, though it's not cheap. God gives Himself in order that we might be forgiven and redeemed and receive eternal life from Him. But of course, if I cry out for forgiveness and if I experience and receive forgiveness from God, well then how should I live after that? Or how do I respond if I'm praying the Psalms? And so I think today's Psalm kind of really speaks into that, which we'll look at in just a few moments. You know, let me begin by maybe asking... How often do you complain? I'm pretty sure if you're sitting with somebody, you're nudging them going, yeah, you see, you complain all the time. Uh, But the reality is we all complain. Even those of us who feel like, no, I never complain, every one of us complains at some point in our lives. I was blown away to discover that research shows The average human, when we have an experience, whether it's uh, an experience at a restaurant or whether it's an experience at a service industry, maybe you take your car for a service or something like that. uh, The average human, when we have an experience, whether it's good or bad, we will tell nearly twice as many people about the bad experience as to what we will the good experience. In fact, the average person will tell around 13 people of a negative experience, whereas they will tell about six or seven people of a good experience. It's almost like we can't help it. It's almost like it's just in our nature. We love to complain. And if there's something to complain about, we will complain to way more people than we will sharing a good experience. So let me ask again how often do you complain? And as you complain, how often do you complain to God? Uh, Of course, you might say, well, I don't directly complain. But I wonder if sometimes our prayers to God aren't prayers of complaint. Uh, We maybe look at what we're going through and we we say it seems unfair, God. And we want God to change the experience of what we're going through. Uh, And we're complaining to God in our experience. When I read through the scriptures and particularly when I read through the Old Testament, I find a great illustration within the nation of Israel. And and we shouldn't be hard on Israel because really they're mirroring our own experiences. Uh, But the the picture of Israel, and just a brief kind of historical reminder, you know, as the nation of Israel grew within Egypt, uh, eventually the Egyptians under Pharaoh kind of felt like, well, these Israelites are getting a little too large. Uh, and, and if they get too much larger, well, they might overthrow us. And so the Egyptians begin to kind of enslave the Jews. Uh, and they force them into labor. And there's all sorts of kind of just this terrible circumstances that they find themselves living under as they are now slaves in their nation. And of course, we know the story that God raises up Moses and, and there's this image of Moses coming to Pharaoh. And I would have loved to have been there and just seen that, that confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. As Moses says, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh doesn't. And so Moses, kind of moved by God and moved by the Spirit of God, starts to declare these plagues and these things that are going to come over Egypt. And and we see all these, um, the plagues of turning water into blood, of the plague of frogs, of lice, of flies, of disease, of boils, hails, locusts, and all sorts of things, and culminating at the end with the death of their firstborn. And in that point, kind of Pharaoh goes, okay, leave and go. And, and even as they go, the Israelites ask the, the, the Egyptians around them for gifts and, and plunder, really. And they've given so much stuff, it's like they plundered the nation of Egypt and off they go. And, of course, it doesn't end there. God miraculously parts the waters of the sea for them to escape as the approaching army chases after them. And they get out into the wilderness. And and you know what? They're in the wilderness having seen God's miraculous provision, having been redeemed from slavery. And the thing they do in the middle of the wilderness, they complain. In fact, in Exodus chapter 14, 15, and 16, they complain at the Red Sea. They complain at the waters of Mara. And they complain in the desert of sin. And as they're complaining, they actually make a point at one place of saying, we wish we were still back in Egypt as slaves. And Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the nation of Israel complaining to God in this redemption and saying, we wish we were still slaves back before you freed us. And of course, I don't think we should think any less of the nation of Israel. We ourselves are prone to that place. When we go through difficult times, when God gets our attention in some way, we we begin to complain. Maybe when our health begins to fail, or when our debts overwhelm us, or when marital relationships break down, or even something as trivial as an appliance breaking down. Uh, Or when we're threatened, are we not the first to complain to God with hearts filled with with anger perhaps, maybe disappointment, maybe depression? And so either we sink into this darkness that is so deep it, it feels like our souls will be crushed or we become enraged at God because we believe God could change this and God could have done something totally different. And so we complain to God. Are we not the first to accuse God of not doing good to those who love Him? Or or we accuse God of giving us more than we can handle? You know what? Our complaints are really just a subtle way of trying to get God to rewrite our story. We long for God to just take all the bad things out of our lives. And if God could rewrite that story, that's what we're asking for. Yet I remain firmly convinced if God were to do that, we wouldn't grow, we wouldn't mature in Christ, and we wouldn't mature in our own faith. And so I think as we look through the Psalms, as we experience forgiveness, as we looked at last week, we need to be like David in today's Psalm, as we learn not to complain, but rather to speak to ourselves, to tell myself what to do when I find myself in that place of wanting to complain. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Psalm 103. And I'm not going to read the whole Psalm. I'm going to pick out some verses through there. But I would encourage you, perhaps later on today, perhaps during this coming week, spend some time meditating on Psalm 103 and just being blown away as David teaches us. You know, as we read through most or if not all the Psalms, many of the Psalms are addressed to God. Many are addressed to righteous people. Some are addressed to sinners, some are addressed to the nation of Israel, others are addressed to Gentile nations. But Psalm 103 is is almost unique in that this psalm is written by David to David. David is writing to himself. David is telling himself what to do. He's preparing his heart. Now this psalm isn't written due to harassment from David's enemies, it's not written because of private guilt. It's written to remind him of the blessings that God has given to him. You know, I think David understood it's easy to praise God when things are going well. It's easy to give God thanks when, when our life seems to be going in a good way and, and we're not faced with too many trials and tribulations. But David knew that there are times when, when life does go through those valleys. There are times when God gets our attention because of our own sin and perhaps even has to punish us because of that sin. And so as David contemplates all of this, David writes to himself to remind himself instead of feeling down or or depressed or even feeling angry and, and kind of thrown or cast aside by God. David says, instead of complaining, let's remind ourselves And David reminds himself of the benefits that God has lavished upon him. David reminds himself of of the gift that God has given to him. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of redemption, of renewal and compassion. The gift of God's unending love, despite how he might feel in a particular situation. And so with all those benefits in mind, with his innermost being, David cries out for himself and all creation to praise God. The Lord. Psalm 103 begins with, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This is what David wants to do for himself, to remind himself through this psalm. You know, in this opening of the psalm, David is rousing himself by shaking off that apathy or gloom of his circumstances by remembering the benefits that he's received from God. You know, we, uh, we often falsely assume that praise, to be genuine, must be spontaneous. But here we learn from David that we're commanded to exercise praise. We're commanded to confess to God's mercy and remind ourselves of what God has done. And so for David, this intensely personal question of how he was to praise God properly encompasses his entire inner being as well. The totality of his human essence. Nothing else but loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength would suffice if it was going to be proper thanksgiving. And so this is why David reminds himself, remember what the Lord has done. Forget not his benefits. Remember what the Lord has done through the history of redemption, for creation at large, for the community of Israel, for the people of God, and then ultimately for himself. David understands. David knows that he can stop that critical and complaining spirit by embracing worship and thanksgiving. You know, as I look through this psalm, I see four benefits, four major benefits that David points out. And David wants us to remember as we tell ourselves what to do when we come before God. The first benefit that we should not forget from God is the forgiveness of sins. Verse three this is the first benefit David points out who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And later on in verse 12, David goes on to say, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The first thing David is thankful for is the forgiveness that he receives, the forgiveness of his sins. As we looked at last week, David was called a man after God's own heart. Yet David was not perfect. David was not without sin in his life. How would David ever forget That he was the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba. That he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. He would never forget this sin, yet he knows God has forgiven him. God has blotted out this iniquity and, and separated it as far as the east is from the west. And yes, while you and I are invited by Scripture to thank God for the external benefits that we might have... Whether that's our homes or our jobs or our health or our wealth or our family. Whatever things bring us joy and happiness. Yes, we thank God for those. But David would remind us and David would point out it's the forgiveness of our sins that we should be the most thankful for. This is the first and primary benefit we receive from God. Just as we looked at last week as we cry out, oh God forgive me. So God responds and he does that. And we have this close personal relationship with God. We are redeemed because our sins are forgiven. And just like David, we should be forever thankful that once we confess and repent, God promises to not only forgive those sins, but remove the power and even sometimes the consequences of our sin. God removes them as far as the east is from the west. This is the first benefit we receive from God, the forgiveness of our sins. But the second benefit we receive from God is God's compassion and mercy. In verse 7 of Psalm 103, David says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. while celebrating God's mercy. David does not ignore the reality of God's wrath. But at the same time, David remembers that God delays that wrath, that he, he holds it temporarily. He spares it. Even when he applies it, he applies it sparingly to us. You know, David remembered the time in which the Israelite people made a golden calf, and we read this in Exodus 32. And in response to their sin, God was so angry with Israel that he wanted to destroy them. And even though God struck a portion of the people and brought a plague, he showed them mercy, and he showed great mercy by forgiving and promising to still be present with them as they went into the promised land. And to seal this promise, God made himself known to Moses at Mount Horeb. And that's, you can read that story in Exodus 33 and 34. You know, in writing this passage, David may have thought about that, and may have been reminded of that, but David would also have reflected on his own sin that we looked at. The sins of adultery and murder and god's anger burned against david and, and there was punishment for that sin as that child born in that circumstance died but god's punishment god's judgment god's wrath ended very quickly because god blessed david and bathsheba with he who would become the wisest king to ever live king solomon and so what David is trying to tell us is that though God has the right to be angry with us when, our sin, when we sin, sorry, he does not keep accusing us. He does not hold his anger. He doesn't hold a grudge. Instead, he forgives and he extends mercy to us. Why would he do that? Well, David answers that in Psalm 103. In verse 14 and onwards, he says, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. God extends mercy to us because he created us and he knows how we are formed. But not only that second benefit that God extends mercy to us, The third benefit that David would point out to us is God does not punish us beyond what we can bear. You know, this basis of this compassion is not to be traced back to that golden calf incident alone, but we can go right back to the creation narrative. It is God who knit us together in our mother's womb. It is God who knows that we are made from the dust of the earth. God knows that we are fragile and and we're as... In Corinthians, as Paul reminds us, we are jars of clay, fragile and easily broken. And so God shows compassion on us, for he knows we are like dust. And because we are like the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, God extends mercy. God tempers his wrath. His discipline will leave us in pain for a short period of time. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't hold it over us. Knowing that our heads might drop and we would return to the ground from where we came. You know, when God considers our frailty, God extends mercy. It's almost as though God shows pity to us. And he gives us a far greater chance than we ever deserve to repent and to be forgiven. So that once again we might be blessed by his glorious riches. David continues in. Verse 13: As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, with those who keep his covenants and remember to obey his precepts. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. And the fourth benefit that I think David would speak to us in this psalm is it's the benefit of the privilege of obedience. It is a privilege to obey God and respond to Him. You know, the compassion of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God is based on our response to God. There was a preacher years ago who said, the greatest performance of man's duty cannot demand the least token of God's favor as a debt. And what that preacher meant was that we cannot earn God's favor. We cannot earn God's merit or God's grace. We do not earn salvation and forgiveness. This is a gift to us from God. We simply receive it in faith. However, the Scriptures make it clear to us, those who fear God, who revere God, and who worship God, who obey His commands and obey His desires, are those who receive, ultimately, His compassion, His grace, and His mercy. You know, the Proverbs remind us that fear is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that fear of, oh no, God's about to smite me. That's not what the the Scriptures remind us or speak to us about. When they use that word fear as the beginning of wisdom, they mean reverential understanding that I am the creature, God is the creator. God is not simply some buddy-buddy or some homeboy. God is eternally holy. And I am a creature prone to wonder, prone to sin. And so I fear him in reverence and I worship him. And then I respond by obeying his commands. By living according to his word. By living with the the help of the Holy Spirit to do what God calls me to do. And just as God has established his throne in heaven and as his kingdom rules over all, so we're invited to yield to God. And so to submit to his authority means that we must come to no longer perceive God's commands as a burden, but instead as food to keep us alive. To see the invitation of his commands into the life that he promises us. This abundant life. And even when, because believe me, it will be. Even when his will is difficult to follow. May we be like Jesus and may we say, may your will be done. And this is the kind of submission that when given to God results in receiving not only his mercy, but his blessings as well. And so David speaks to himself and reminds himself, forget not the privilege of obedience to our heavenly Father. So David writes in verse 20, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. So David closes off the psalm by imploring all in heaven and in all creation to praise the Lord. Uh, To praise properly means to imitate that heavenly host that do God's bidding, that do his will. And we know reading from this psalm and through the scriptures That the angels do occasionally serve God's purposes by running errands or fighting battles or ministering to, ministering good to his people. But they spend the overwhelming majority of their time in heaven continually worshiping and praising God's holy name. And so David says, just as all of creation, just as that heavenly host praises God, so too my soul. Praise God. Worship him and give thanks to him. It's almost as if at this point in the psalm that David is overwhelmed with joy. He's overwhelmed with the fact that God's compassion and God's mercy has shone upon him. And so with thanksgiving in his heart for having been forgiven and not receiving what his sins deserved, David cries out with his his innermost being, praise God. And David says to us, praise God. And of course, I don't think it will ever be possible for any human to be able to praise God sufficiently or to to worship God even closely to what he deserves. But we're invited to worship. We're invited to praise. So let me close off by asking that same question I asked at the beginning. How often do you complain? More importantly, how often do you complain to God when things don't go as you had hoped? And I I don't mean to make light of anybody's circumstance or situation. I know that there are those watching today who are going through incredibly deep valleys and deep water. You're going through experiences that are traumatic and painful and significant. I would never try and make light of those and brush those aside. And I don't think David is trying to do that either. David himself has experienced darkness. David himself has experienced death. He's experienced those times of heartache. I think David would encourage each one of us to remind us that God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. And because God is still God and God is holy, God still deserves and desires to be worshipped. And if we would be wise in life, though we might not be able to point out a thousand blessings, David would remind us that we can remember that we are forgiven. We can remember that we are given life by God through Jesus Christ. And we can remember in those places to tell ourselves to worship and to praise God and to give Him thanks. And so will you tell yourself what to do and will you turn your complaints to praise as we worship and thank God for His gifts? Let's pray together. My heavenly Father, I'm blown away as I read through this psalm. Just a reminder from David... This man who had a heart after you, who yet was frail and who sinned and rebelled. And as he turned and cried out for forgiveness, so you heard that cry and you extended forgiveness. And you extended mercy and grace. And God, I thank you that David was moved by your spirit to pen this song. The psalm that we can read and we can pray through. And as we pray, we can remind ourselves by telling ourselves what to do. And it begins by not forgetting the gift of salvation that we have. This gift through Jesus Christ. Oh God, we thank you. Father, I pray for those who are in fact going through deep trauma at the moment. For those going through trial and tribulation for those who it seems and feels like their life is falling apart and they are barely holding on and hanging on. God, I pray that right in their darkness, may they sense your spirit's presence and may they rejoice in their salvation in you. And may they learn to cling to you, God, as you remain on the throne, as you remain sovereign knowing that in this fleeting life that we live, that passes by in an instant, we very soon will be in eternity with you, praising you, rejoicing at your goodness and your blessing. And we know this free gift of grace, though it is free, was not cheap. It's given to us through the gift of Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for us, so that we might be redeemed and forgiven. Jesus, we thank you for that gift. May we never lose sight of it. May we never forget. Daily may it lead us into a place of worship. As we thank you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.